Listeners are advised, this podcast contains coarse language, themes of an adult nature, and inappropriate thoughts about boy bands. And inappropriate thoughts by boy bands, motherfucker. It's McFly Week. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Hello, I am Zoe Linkson. And I'm Amy Long, and, and welcome to... I'm with the boy band. Where we're going to actually do McFly. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be McFly part one today. Yeah. We call it McFly Month. I was trying to think what we could call the whole mm. grouping of prestige management boy bands that we did, and we can't even call it a something month because we're now going going to go over a month. Yeah, and also we had to interject with another boy band in the middle because <laughs> another level came in in the middle, didn't it? No, we did another level, then busted, then scandal, oh, did we? and then we had a week off. Oh, okay. Yeah, we did have a week off. Well, we just did bumper boy news and a lot of K-pop stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think we need to start paying homage a bit to K-pop. Yeah. It's so massive. There was a it's where um, our fortune's going to come in, Amy. It's when we get all the K-pop fans. There must be a load of like little Korean fangirls out there desperate to listen to two well, women in their forties. You talk say about fangirls? I saw an article in the Daily Mail this week. Sorry, I don't read the Daily Mail. I saw you it on obviously Twitter. do. Fucking don't. And um, there was a man in there who had had so much plastic surgery to look like one of the members of BTS. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Those things Is that because you read the Daily Mail? <laughs> I believe I saw it on Twitter too. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I um, Those things always weird me out. Yeah, like the same. women that have... She spent 250 grand on plastic surgery to look like Barbie. And my question is, why? Yeah, because you don't. It's just dreadful. It's sad, yeah. actually. How's your week been? All right. Exhausted as ever. Yeah. I feel that we're going to start depressing our listeners <laughs> if all I ever talk about is how hard my week at work's been and how exhausted I am. Well, I also have been exhausted because Elvis Long has kept me awake, but it's fine. Boy bandipities at work at the moment. Yes, so much. I sat yesterday when I was meant to be rewriting McFly and rather than focusing on what I needed to do in time for today... Yeah. I sat and wrote out our record of boy band dipity because I was like, I'm going to have to start writing yes. this down because we keep forgetting shit. We do, yeah, because I tried to put a post on my Instagram the other day saying what we were claiming and uh, I couldn't remember it all. So, yeah. Yeah, I had forgotten that the NSYNC Coachella reunion came in the middle of Lu- not Lou Perman week. That's the main one I'd forgotten. Yeah. Obviously, the first one was the Jonas Brothers. Yeah. We now have, so... BB Mac released, announced the release of their single on the day we did the BB Mac episode. 911 and 5 announced their tour the week we did the 5 episode and right after we'd been to see 911. And then we have McFly totally screwing us over. And the big news of the week (laughs) that I woke up to on Saturday morning. In fact, I didn't wake up. I'd been awake quite a bit. I was like, I'm going to go on Instagram and check out if we've had any replies to our Instagram posts where we'd talked about Donnie and things like that. So I yeah. went in to check replies. First yeah. thing that pops up on my Instagram, a message from, I didn't even know that we'd followed him. And it must have been me because I'm the only one that checks and does the follows on Insta. Mark Barron from... Another level. Who was our boy band of the week. How many weeks ago? Two or three. Uh, announcing. It wasn't even an announcement. He just put a post up, which was a picture of him and Dane Bowers and, and Bobak, Bobak yeah. from another level, leaning over a balcony and just saying, 
looks like it's happening, we're going to be doing some shows next year. And I was like, <laughs> what kind of fucking announcement is that? Where's your jazz hands? Yeah. And then I was kind of like, oh, really? Is he just winding people up until I went down into his replies? And Bobak is in the replies yeah. going, I guess that means it's official then. <laughs> I know, it's such good news. And that's been all the news. So it went on Dane Bowers' Insta later on as well. So I was kind of like, okay, so it is happening. Yeah. Well, we posted it and our friend of the podcast, Dan Corsi, said he'd spoken to Mark and that it was happening. Confirmed, yeah. Yeah. Hello, Dan. <laughs> we know you listen. <laughs> yeah. Literally our favourite, Dan, because you're one of our biggest cheerleaders. Yeah. And we very much appreciate Dan, in case you don't know, listeners, Dan Corsi, a former member of British boy band Northern Line. Yeah. I'm going to start working on the Northern Line episode, I think. I wonder if he fell in love from the Northern Line himself. Oh, happens to a lot of people. <laughs> Morden is a hot spot of passion, I've now, heard. You know, you say that the biggest boy band dippity of the week is that, but actually, I think it's the fact that a boy band member stalked Zoe this week. <laughs> <laughs> In real life. <laughs> what happened, Zoe, when you... um? No, actually, I'll tell it. <laughs> so I'm... I'm going to drink tea while you tell it then. <laughs> I'm working from home this week because Elvis has been poorly and can't really go anywhere. And uh, minding my business, doing my work. And I get a text, a WhatsApp message from Zoe saying, I think Duncan Blue from James. No, she didn't say that. She said, I think Duncan James is on my train platform. And I was like, oh my God, send me a picture. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it was outside Wimbledon. So I'd come oh, off the underground and right. there was a half hour till my train was due. Okay. So I'd gone upstairs for a cigarette between trains. Oh, okay. I go out the front. There's a little bit side of Wimbledon station where you can have a quick cigarette. And I was stood there smoking. Yeah. And this guy was pacing backwards and forwards for a good five minutes before I looked up and was like, what the fuck is this dude doing? really annoying me <laughs> proceed so i said send a pic because she had said i think duncan james and of course i objected and said can you please address him by his full title um duncan she, james from blue yes and she said i think he's i think he's right here by me and i said send a pic now we're not in the business of going around putting our phones in people's faces so she subtly took a picture of the back of him and sent it to me saying, I've looked at him for a good five minutes. I can't figure out if it's him or not. So she sends me this picture. It's just of his back. And I'm like, confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> I was incredibly impressed at that. Because I had looked at him and I was like, I'm going to message Amy. And then I kept, but he was he was pacing backwards and forwards. But I was getting to look at his face. Yeah. But I still wasn't convinced. I think in my head, it was going... Don't be stupid. Why yeah. Duncan James from Blue. Yeah. Be at Wimbledon Station at three o'clock in that was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Why, yeah. why would that be happening? I don't know. In front of someone that records a boy band podcast. <laughs> and has been speaking about Blue quite a lot recently. <laughs> what what kind of boy bandipity would that be? So then Zoe goes off, gets on a train, he gets on the same train. <laughs> I think I go down, because you said, have you got a business card? Speak to him yeah. and ask him if he wants to come on. So I got a business card ready, but he was on the phone and I, I didn't want to interrupt. That's incredibly no. rude. And I waited it out and waited it out for him to finish, if I, to see if I could get 10 seconds to go, oh, look, I'm sorry to interrupt you in like your own time, but yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I said to Amy, I can't, I've got to go, my train's going, I'm off. So I go down onto my platform, get on my train. Sit down. Duncan Jameson Blue bus on my train. 
Still on the phone. Yes, still. <laughs> that's the longest phone conversation. What was he talking about? I can't possibly. You didn't divulge. listen, did you? you didn't. I could hear. He wasn't being quiet. Mm. But it's one of those things that's. It's yeah. another one of those incidents where I have information that I don't feel is mine to share. Right. So, yeah, so I get on the train and Amy's like, well, just keep an eye. He may go off the phone, you may get your chance. I travel all the way to my station, which is a good another 20 minutes. Mm. Dude's still on the fucking phone. Outrageous. He knew. Someone texted him and said, <laughs> there's two boy band fans watching you. Keep, stay on the phone I think and I remain very subtle. Like yeah. I didn't make out that I'd known it was him. He definitely didn't catch me taking a picture because it was of his back. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we remain stumped. And he's not in Panto. You know, my suggestion was, I wonder if he's in Wimbledon because he's in Panto here this year. Yeah. He's not, he's in Panto no. somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. He's starring in the Rocky Horror Show at the moment, isn't he? It's touring though, and he doesn't oh, do it okay. all the time. Right. Interesting. Well, Duncan James from Blue, if you're listening, let us know what you were doing at Wimbledon Station this week. <laughs> yeah, and why you were following me. <laughs> Weirdo. So... We obviously secured our tickets for McFly this week. I also sprung the BB Mac tickets. Have we spoken about McFly tickets? We haven't spoken. We spoke. So we, you and I talked on Tuesday. Mm. Oh, and okay, yeah. They were due yeah. to go on sale the next day. Well, we got them. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> so we got tickets in the pre-sale. You, you played an absolute fucking blinder there, though. We got the O2 pre-sale, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Which went on two days earlier than what we yeah. were expecting. And it was a blinder because we... Then had a, a handful of our listeners talking to us nervously on Friday morning before they were due to go on general sale. Yeah, and none of them got them. No, it was. I, I I don't know very many people who did get them. I know I get it. It's a one-off thing. There was a massive demand, but yeah, we feel very lucky. Yeah, yeah. Claire and her pals are coming too. I know. I saw that. We had a whole conversation because I was like, the OMFG zone has got rows and seat numbers on. And she said, no, it was standing last time. So I was like, right, I'm going in. So I went on Twitter and asked AXS what the F was AXS going on. AXS is the ticket seller. Yes. And they said, yeah, it's definitely standing. And I was like, well, that's great. Because that's what I wanted to hear. So yeah, why have I got well, a row and a seat number? Yeah, we wanted to stand. Because our discussion, when you put ma- eventually managed to pull two tickets up, yeah. I was in the middle of the office and I was in charge this week as well. <laughs> Although with the support of one of my colleagues, who was like, I guess you're buying McFly tickets tomorrow morning. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I said to him, oh, we've, we've, it's a bust flush. We're not getting any tickets. And then I got a message from you going, I've got row seven. Is that good enough? And I went, fuck yeah. Yeah, I know. But the fact that it's not got rows is great. A, because we can hang out with Claire and her girls. Yeah. And B, because... We can I run around. To, yeah. yeah. It's going to be great. So, like in, Do you remember Jagger's Place Pop? Yes. And they had the little run around section. Oh, I don't remember it that well. I'm, oh. I'm a little bit too young for that. Okay. <laughs> so, that. same day, BB Mac tickets went on pre-sale. Yes. So, nab two of those. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happened later on in the week, Amy? Uh, later in the week, I got a text from Zoe going, are you available on the 7th of October? And I was like, oh... Because this is what people do, right? They go, are you available on a date? And you go, yeah. And they go, great, you can babysit. Now, I know you're not <laughs> going to ask to babysit. My mum. But I'm always a bit like, let's see what's on offer first. And I was like, in theory, yes. And um, so he said, uh, Robbie Williams at the Roundhouse. And I was like, yes, Robbie Williams at the Roundhouse. So Zoe just goes, got them, done. 
booked. It's happening. I came out for a cigarette break from work and there was an email from the Robbie Williams fan group. Now, I'd spotted earlier on in the week some of our followers on Twitter yes. talking about... Oh, I'd seen it on Instagram, yeah. That, ...that he'd announced this special fan club. And they were thanking him. Thank you for doing something for your fan club. And I was like, oh, I'll download the app, see what the deal is, see what's going down. And I downloaded it and it talked about... The, the new section talked about there being a show for fan club members. And I was like, oh, well, that's fucked him. I'm not paying to join his fan club to go to a show. I come out of work on a cigarette break, check my personal email, which I don't do in the office. Email from Robbie Williams. Thank you very much, Robbie. <laughs> much appreciated. And I was like, and it was, it had been there for about an hour, hour and a half. And mm. I was like, oh, they're going to have gone, but let me just I'll just check have a look. I do that all the time. Anyway, I'm still looking see. for McFly tickets, just <laughs> on the off chance. And I went in and they were there. And I was like, oh, I can't, like, I know Amy's to take that fan. And she liked when Robbie came back to take that for a bit. But I wasn't entirely sure you'd want to see Robbie on his own. I well, wasn't sure where your feelings the and emotions were. I was like, I'm going to message Amy. And if she doesn't reply straight away, I'm just going to fuck it off. Mm. Like, I'm not that bothered about yeah. it. It'd be fun. But I only want to go if I can go with Amy. Yeah. So if she doesn't come back to me straight away with a yes, we'll just fuck it off. And mm. I'll just pretend I was messenger about something else. And then we've got two tickets to go and see Robbie at the Roundhouse. It is. It's his Under the Radar gigs. So it's Mm. all B-sides and all of those albums that he's going to be performing, which is really exciting. But yeah, I am a Robbie fan. He, when Take That, when he left Take That, I was like, okay, you know, okay, fine. Bye. bye." Um, But I knew he would have a solo career and I loved his first album. Loved it. Loved his second album. And when Take That then had broken up and I was like, it's fine because I'm just going to follow all of the members and whatever they do. And it just, I don't know, in my mind, it was never a big deal that they broke up. I know that everyone else was crying and calling helplines. I was like, they're not going anywhere. This is going to be if fine. They didn't die. No. So I was probably then more a Robbie fan than a Gary fan, purely because Robbie was doing really well and more stuff was coming yeah. out. More and it access, was access, not like necessarily access to him, but more access to the music. bits of him, music yeah. and shows. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I saw robbie solo in 2002 in sydney because i was backpacking then and he came to sydney and so i saw him then it was wicked loved it and yeah i've seen him a few times solo i've seen him at wembley stadium i've seen him at the o2 um yeah i'm a robbie fan okay, i prefer gary it. now <laughs> I prefer I, take that. i've oh. never seen robbie solo what? so yeah i'm not really yeah well the first thing i did was text my friend owen who's been playing piano or keys or and a bit of guitar actually with Robbie in Vegas he's been um what we call depping for Guy Chambers because Guy had other stuff on so Owen's been in Vegas doing that so if anyone's watched um Robbie's vlog videos vloggy Williams Owen's featured in those quite a lot but um yeah he's not on it unfortunately it's Guy's on it at the moment so we'll see Owen's been writing with Robbie and there's a possibility, I suppose, that he might pop out and play. I don't know. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Exciting. So much stuff coming up. Yeah. And in answer to your question from last week's, because I know you're excited and I wanted to save, wanted to build up the anticipation for you a little bit and mm. save your excitement so that I could get a live reaction for you. Okay. So in answer to your question, Boy's Life is in February. <laughs> what date is it? I want to say the 13th. Okay, so post Jonas. 
Oh my God, imagine if my boys like tickets <laughs> for the, the same, same night. We're seeing Jonas and just not realised. So Jonas is the... Oh, that's January, Amy. Jonas is the... It's not in my diary. Second or third. I've actually got Boys Life in here and I don't have Jonas in here. <laughs> Jonas, I, I think, is the second you're or third. a bigger Boys Life fan. I mean, you can say okay. that. So that for boy bad news, is there any other unrelated to us boy bad news we want to talk about? No, none. Okay, so let's move on. Let's have a little bit of a, a break, a breather, and we'll be back right after this with some string theory and the ultimate boy band playlist. I love that it's a short break for our listeners, but for us, that was probably about 45 minutes. Yeah, was <laughs> fucking around. Making a cup of tea, mm. going to the bathroom, mm. chatting about all the things we forgot to chat about in the news section. Yeah. <laughs> and also, non-boy band related stuff that we've been watching the Netflix show Unbelievable. Fucking, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Right. I watched so the first, I've only watched the first episode. So I've done all so of no it, so I don't want to do, but yeah, I don't yeah. want to ruin it for you, but it's so good. Everyone should watch it. Okay. And you, you need to watch it and concentrate. Because yes. as I just said to you, I had to go back and rewatch because I had it on playing in the background whilst I was rewriting McFly. Yeah. And I was like, I've definitely missed some I've stuff missed here. some important info, yeah. Yeah, so I had to go back for it. That's why I like to watch it slowly. Like with Euphoria, I haven't finished it yet. I'm just watching it slowly. It's really good. Well, I got into it because I heard about it because of the Larry Stylinson reference. But it's really, really excellent. So anyway, we're going to go on to our boy band ultimate playlist on Spotify. Ultimate boy band playlist. (laughs) I actually went on our Spotify account this week. Oh, did you? Yeah, you'll (laughs) notice there's a few Robbie Williams albums added to our library. (laughs) Excellent news. So, um... Where did we leave off last week? Podcast mascot, Donnie Wahlberg, chose possibly... The worst song on the playlist. (laughs) He just wanted to choose... He just wanted to choose a Bay City Rollers one. Feel free, if you're listening to the playlist, to skip that one. Use that as one of your skips. Yeah. Or the bit where you go, I'm just running to the bathroom right now. Mm. What is your song? I'm telling you what my song is. Okay, well, I'll go first then. I Actually, I think mine's probably better first. (laughs) Following on. Okay. So my contribution to the Ultimate Boyband playlist this week is taken from an album which was released in July... 1991 called Music for the People. Oh, which the album got to number 21 thanks mainly to this single, which was released about a week before. Mm. The single spent 20 weeks in the Billboard Hot 100. It was written by, among others, uh, one Donnie Wahlberg and his brother Mark Wahlberg. The video features a 20 year old Mark working out bare chested, <laughs> black and white, it's very moody. You're welcome. Yes, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, it reached number one in four countries and went top ten in 16 countries, selling over half a million copies in the US alone. It is Good Vibrations by Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Oh. Would you care to sing it? In my head at the minute, the really high-pitched bit is going around, so no. Although I can do the rap. Oh. I, I'm going to treat you to that in a minute. Okay. I can't sing it without going into the Black Box song. I can't get the two songs separate. (laughs) And when I went to Google it just now to get the number ones when you put in uh, Good Vibrations on Wikipedia, get the Beach Boys. Oh, of course you do. Of course you do, yeah. Uh, Well, Beach Boys, did we decide not a boy band or a boy band? 
I'm going to say yes. Okay, excellent. Let's say yes. Excellent development. So, if you can hear that little padding, Elvis is pacing because I'm sat in his chair. Well, you're not. He just wants to go and sit in that chair. All through Zoe's little thing there about Marky Mark, I was pointing at Elvis and going, go and sit in that chair. Go and sit in that chair. And he won't have it. Go on. Go on. Elvis, go in the chair. Elvis is currently walking to his bed. He's very good at instruction. He's not. He's He does as he pleases. You're such a good I see your Marky Mark, and I raise you Robbie Williams. Oh, uh, 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 um, <laughs> have we not had to take that already? Look, you said to me that I could put a Robbie <laughs> Williams song in because the take that song that's on the playlist doesn't include Robbie. Yeah, I did. I mean, that's a, that's I... called exercising the Jedward Clause. <laughs> <laughs> the Jedward Clause, whereby we can do what the fuck we want because it's that's our podcast. Absolutely, 100% correct. So this song is taken from Robbie's third studio album sing when you're winning one of my favorites it was the fourth release of that album um which is the album that has that contains your favorite robbie williams song rock dj which i don't like you disagree with me i it's my favorite song mm. because when you could see the uk tour they had a little boy band medley section in it mm. and that was part of it that's right. why that's my favorite song yeah i fucking hate it i just think it's been played to death but then I fuck. That's I, not necessarily that's, a bad thing. Oh, I can't bear it. But I'm like this, aren't I? You like you say like the big ones. I like the ones I... that invoke memories for mm. me. You like something that's a bit more of a deep cut. Yeah, which is what was making so, this yeah. playlist so good. Yeah, it's a real mix. She said, "I mean, I don't like to brag, <laughs> <laughs> but our playlist is in your face. <laughs> it's amazing." Oh, can we with also, one exception. Can we talk about James Corden as well in a minute? I know that isn't boy band related, but we're it going to. It kind of is, because he was in that boy band comedy programme. Oh, yeah, he was. Boys Unlimited. And he's a massive Which Take That fan. And watched. O-Town, because of the adverts, man, I tried to watch it. But he I, said that O-Town was his favourite boy band, and we oh, all know that Take That is, is, is... Yeah, he's a townie now. But I want to talk about him and the fat shaming thing. Anyway, let's get back to Robbie. This single was released on the 9th of April, 2001. It didn't do as well as some of the other songs off the album, but I think the fourth release off the album, I think he released five or six off that album. And it's usually the first, you know, the first three songs that come off, but four songs is quite a lot. It was written by... luck. <laughs> it was written by Robbie Williams and Guy Chambers. It got to number 10 in the UK charts. It featured... It's not shabby, is it? No. <laughs> It didn't features, do as well. No, it's fucking yeah. top 10, mate. The music video was an animated video, which was the first time Robbie hadn't featured in one of his own videos. And then a second, raunchier version of the video was released, which had animated nudity and sex. So go find that if you like. The song is Let Love Be Your Energy. It's a great track. Okay, excellent. So moving on. Are we going to do Boy Band String Theory Confessions? Confessions? What did we discover this week, Amy? Listen. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so when we first started doing this podcast, we were like, let's not bother taking notes on what we've discussed. We'll not forget. We won't forget. Stuff we've talked about. Yeah, and also, we didn't want to make it too structured. We wanted it to be fun and not feel like work. But we did want it to be more structured than just two people sitting around chatting shit non-stop with no focus. Yes. Let's, Let's go with, like... 
you know, there are some podcasts like that, which I just, I mean, we, we tried to listen to one together that time, didn't we? And yes. we lasted about two minutes. Yes. And I was like, turn this shit fucking off. <laughs> anyway, we digress. She says, talking shit endlessly. So, <laughs> <laughs> we might have accidentally done five string theory twice. Yes. I also think that's... I don't a, even know if that's true. I'm just taking your word for it. It is, because I went back and I was like, who have we done? Who? Because I've not posted the <laughs> string theory graphics for everyone that we've done. And I went back and went, who have we done? Who have I got to do the graphics for? Just so we've got a complete timeline of it. And as I listened to the episodes, I did five one week. And the very next week, you did five too. We're so good at this. Yeah. So that just goes to show that we can find ways... For, was it the same? No, it was different. There you go. We can my find... one featured J-Lo. Oh, what did mine feature? <laughs> oh, don't... Not J-Lo. Yeah. I've got extensive notes now, so I could tell you. <laughs> Herbie Quitchler and the Backstreet Boys was yours. Oh. Oh, yeah, because they turned down Bye Bye Bye. No? Yeah. Yeah. No, no idea. Anyway. So it... who are you doing on String Theory this week, This eh? week, I'm doing Australia's premier boy band, Human Nature. Oh, still digging into your back catalogue? That's right. So... Sit back, get comfy. I mean, I'm already sat back. <laughs> you can't tell from the way Elvis is staring at me. It's the listeners. Sit back, get comfy. Here it comes. Human Nature worked in Las Vegas with Smokey Robinson, as you will all know from the Human Nature episode. Episode number five. Smokey had an album. In- Love that. Have you written them all down? No, I'm <laughs> guessing actually. Because I know it came before five and five was episode number six. There we go. Smokey had an album in 2014 called Smokey and Friends, which featured a song called My Girl with Aloe Black, JC, Shazay and Miguel. Who's Miguel? Oh. I didn't know. I didn't even click on it on Wikipedia. Okay. But JC, Shazay, I know how to say his name now, thanks to Girl Were You Alone. <laughs> Aloe Black had a 2013 album called Lift Your Spirit, which had a song on it called Soldier in the City, which was co-written with Harold Lilly and Ethan Farmer. Ethan Farmer is better known as E. Bassman, and he has played on a multitude of albums, including Aretha Franklin, Janet Jackson, Lionel Richie, Justin Timberlake, and Diddy. And he's also in the touring band for Subject Zero, aka Donnie Wahlberg from New Kids on the Block. Thank you and good night. Very well done. Take you long to research that? Not really. Who's your string theory on this week? I just want to point out that we've had to uh, pause and restart the podcast for our weekly flyby <laughs> from the RAF. <laughs> we must be under a flight path from somewhere to somewhere here. We are pretty... Uh, um, North Alt. Yeah. Yeah. Or probably Boris. Oh. Uh. He's going off to Europe to meet Juncker tomorrow. Okay. Anyway, sorry, that's a completely different podcast. <laughs> My string theory boy band, boy band string theory this week is I'm doing Stock Aiken and Waterman's only successful boy band. We work that out. Uh, let's say yes. Tell us the if we're wrong. Best known boy band. Yep. Big fun. Big fun. Uh, among the three members of Big Fun, who were Phil Kresic, Mark Gillespie, and Jason John. Uh, Jason John was his stage name, his boy band name. Mm. Uh, his real name's Jason Herbert. He went into management after his Big Fun career, as you remember from our... Big Fun big, episode, exa- yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And he managed Spice Girl, Jerry Halliwell. Mm. Who was pictured at Goodwill, Goodwill 
no, not the Goodwill. Goodwood Revival yesterday with Howard Donald. That's not the route I'm taking, but Oh, okay, got it. Mm -hmm. Um, Jerry's album Schizophonic was produced by a production duo who went by the name Absolute. And Absolute also produced a 1998 record for Bismarcky called Just a Friend. And Bismarcky appeared on stage with New Kids on the Block at Madison Square Gardens in June 2015 at the same show where 50 Cent and Marky Mark Wahlberg. Jason Herbert, Jerry Halliwell, schizophrenic album produced by Absolute, who also produced Just a Friend for Bismarcky, who appeared on stage with New Kids on the Block at the 2015 Madison Square Garden show. Let's go on. McFly coming up next. Let's talk about James Corden quickly. Okay. So, have you seen the video? I haven't seen the video. I'm aware of what the video content is. But when I looked at it, I was like, seven minutes. I haven't got seven minutes. I'm already half an hour late for Amy's house. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Bill Mayer, which is apparently how you say it, who is a talk show host, much like James Corden, basically went on this thing on his show and said that fat people need to be shamed and that fat shaming had gone away and we needed to bring it back because fat people need to be shamed into not being fat. And James oh, Corden... I just say that you probably need to do the same with, like, shaming should be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> no? Like, if you think someone's acting a bit of a... Shame them for it. Yeah, but do you know what? Being a being fat is not the same thing (laughs) (laughs) so i mean they're both psychological problems yes yes true well james corden uh, recorded this video he said he watched it and he was like oh if only there was someone out there with a platform who knew what it was like to be overweight who could say something and he went oh it's me (laughs) (laughs) so he's done a really good video basically about fat shaming and how it obviously doesn't work and how fat shaming actually never went away and if you're a fat person you'll be able to confirm that and also if fat shaming worked no one would be fat yeah right so anyway it's really good he does it with really good grace and humor and talks quite openly about his own struggle with being fat in a non-sad way so yeah do we do that we've got seven minutes before mcfly so we're here recording on sunday Mm -hmm. seven minutes before mcfly released their first two lost songs which are red and not red (laughs) (laughs) so let's watch james corden we'll then listen to the two new mcfly songs and we'll be back right after this with mcfly part one of mcfly So red doesn't sound like McFly, does it? Definitely doesn't sound like McFly. It's good though. I swear I've seen another band play that song live, and I'm never going to be able to find it by googling. No, googling what band sang red. <laughs> oh god, it's like trying to Google take that honestly, and they're one of the easier, weird, annoyingly named bands yeah, to Google. So following on from after we complete McFly, the boy band after that is going to be V. <laughs> they so were a the, the second song touched the rain we haven't managed to find it yet no we haven't but we're gonna say we're gonna like it so it's mcfly in it let's begin mcfly it's been a long time coming we called up the uh this story so long i've always had to put it on a pdf and it's going to be a two-parter yes 100 percent. 
Tom Fletcher was born in 1985 and grew up in Harrow, which is a suburb of northwest London. Growing up, his house was full of music with people playing guitars and singing, and thus he grew up listening to what, them. like a commune. <laughs> no, just like it was a musical household. It was full of people playing guitars and <laughs> singing. singing. Now I've got. You don't watch Columbo, do you? No. There's a great Columbo episode that's set in a guy that's a religious, does religious mm-hmm. songs. He's a, like a massive one of these, you know, Christian music people in the states. Yeah. And his house is full of women in white robes. There we go. That's what I had in my mind. It's not what it was. This is definitely <laughs> not a cult. Tom Fletcher from McFly. Did not grow up in a cult. We cult. just oh, clarified spoiler. that. Um, he grew up listening to the Rolling Stones, the Eagles and Eric Clapton, um, a bit of the Beatles. And his mum, Debbie, was a huge Brian Adams fan. Oh, me too. Me too, Debbie. His father, Bob, played in a covers band and at local bars and like the British Legion and things like that. And Tom would go with his mum to watch him play. And Bob would often bring him up on stage to sing with him. Oh, that's nice. For Tom, music was all about Michael Jackson and seeing Mm. how much he loved him, his parents saved up to take him to the live shows. Wow. He even at one point spent time waiting outside the hotel to see him. And on one day, he came within about a metre of touching Michael Jackson before a crazed girl jumped the barriers right in front of him and Jacko was bundled into a car and driven away. I'm going to say... So close, Tom. So close. (laughs) It was a lucky escape, Tom. Uh, At the age of five, Tom wanted to join in with the playing music at home. So his dad sold one of his own guitars to buy a guitar for Tom and his parents paid for him to have classical guitar lessons. Good parents, that, I'd say. At nine, he began attending stagecoach classes on a Saturday morning. Uh, Isn't that a bus? It's also a bus. Stagecoach is like a little Saturday morning theatre school. Oh, okay. You tend to send kids with ADHD there to get shit out of their system at the weekend when they haven't got school wearing them out. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm not suggesting for one moment Tom from McFly has ADHD. Okay. Uh, at Stagecoach, he learnt singing, dancing and acting. And at the suggestion of one of his teachers, he attended summer school for acting at the Ravenscourt Theatre School in Hammersmith. Uh, at the end of their at their end of course performance, the head teacher of Ravenscourt was so impressed he offered nine-year-old Tom a scholarship. Wow, that's great. Ravenscourt also operated as a talent agency and very soon Tom was going out on auditions, but he ultimately wasn't happy at the school. And on these auditions, he met and made friends with children from the Sylvia Young Theatre School, which we heard about in the Busted episode. And halfway through his first term at Ravenscourt, he went for an audition at Sylvia Young and was offered a place. Sylvia Young is like the famous one, isn't it? That and yes. Red Roofs. Sylvia the... Young, so Sylvia Young and Italia Conti. Oh yeah, are like feeder schools for what was Grange Hill. Yeah, and EastEnders, mm-hmm. East London's Burn, and all that kind of thing. Yes, the school was based quite far from his home in North London, and as his parents were both in full time work, it fell to his grandparents to take him in and out of London every day. Uh, but it was a school where Tom finally felt that he belonged. Do you know what? I watched Rocket Man last night. Oh, I've not. It was on the plane when I was flying back yeah. from New York. And I was like, no, I don't want to watch it yet. Uh, well, Elton John, as a little kid, when he was Reg Dwight, he got an audition for... Oh, how strange. It's just come on the telly at the same time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Boy Bandipity works in mysterious ways. <laughs> he had, he had um, his audition at the Royal College of Music. Yeah. And it was his grandmother who took him. Yeah. But they were London-based as well. Royal College of Music is around near where Madden Two Swords is, it's I like, want to say. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. 
Yeah, so well, a lot of girls at my school were in like orchestras at the Royal College of Music. Mm. The cello players and the mm. violinists and shit like that. I could play the recorder. Where is not required by the Royal College of Music? Apparently, recorder players. Oh, well, it's interesting because the I got my uh, grades from the Trinity College of Music on my treble recorder. So how did you play the treble? Yeah, I did the normal recorder and then I did the big one, the alto, the tenor, tenor. Yes. The alto is the treble. It's the one um, with the. That has the metal thing at the yeah, bottom of it because your tenor. fingers aren't big enough. So the playing the tenor, and this is well off topic. I mean, it's <laughs> music, but playing the tenor and playing the descant are transferable because you you play the yeah. same notes. And then playing the treble, it's got its own notes and its own key. And then the bass, which it's I also played, card. you had to learn the bass clef as well. Yeah, and then after that, I started playing piano because I knew both bass and treble anyway. You done my, I wasn't allowed to learn the piano story, have I? I don't think so. Oh, no, it wasn't the piano, it was the violin. Oh, well, I can understand that. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to learn the violin because I refused to sing in front of my school at the age of five. Oh, well, I mean... Tom got a fair I, bit of no, work. No, no, I want to know where the Sylvia Young Theatre School is in London. <laughs> That's what this was all leading up to. Whereabouts is the Sylvia Young Theatre School? Now... I know Italia Conti's around Islington. Mm. Sylvia Young, I'm not entirely sure. You, you Google that. I'll yeah, carry I'll, on. I will. I'll Google it. Tom got a fair bit of work as an extra on Grange Hill and EastEnders, as previously mentioned. Yep. And in adverts and doing voiceovers. And at the age of 10, he auditioned for a part in the West End theatre production of Oliver. Oliver. I knew it was going to be Oliver. <laughs> and he was cast as one of the kids in Fagin's Gang. Tom absolutely loved the musical and he knew not only his own part but all of the other parts of the children's production. And one night when the boy playing the Artful Dodger lost his voice mid-show, Tom stepped in and sang his parts, which really impressed the director. Yes. Three months later, he was asked to come back on audition for the part of Oliver. Because of child labour laws, he was restricted to a certain number of working hours in each year. So it wasn't until the following January when 10-year-old Tom made his debut in the lead role of Oliver on London's West End stage. Sylvia Young Theatre School is yes. Marlebone. Oh, okay. Royal College of Music is Kensington. Oh. Yeah, I thought it was Kensington. I thought it was near, like, the Natural History Museum. Maybe I'm not thinking Madame of the Royal Tussauds. Academy. Oh, maybe. I'll Google that. Continue. After his three-month stint in the West End, he returned to Sylvia Young's. The Civil Young Theatre School, as we've mentioned before, is world famous and among the artists there at the time, at the same time as Tom, was Matt Willis and Amy Winehouse. Yep. The Royal Academy of Music, Marlebone. Is it the same thing then? I don't know. No, they're two different places. Oh, okay. So Kensington, one's Marlebone. In Kensington, yeah. yeah, one's in Marlebone, yeah. Tom did the arounds. Did the arounds? Tom did the arounds. He went to Italia <laughs> Conti and did the arounds. He went to Sylvia Young. <laughs> Tom did the rounds attending the open auditions for the boy bands that he'd see advertised in the stage, but he was always a bit too young and he eventually left Sylvia Young's at 16 and he went to a local college to study art, media, English and drama, but he hated it from the outset as he knew nobody at the school. Mm. Sorry, college. After about a month at college, he came home one day and his mum showed him an advert in the stage for a boy band. But a different kind of boy band, one that could play instruments. The audition was at 10.30 the next morning, but Tom was still trying to convince himself that he wanted to be normal. And he woke up the next morning questioning if he should go for the audition or not. So he, he kind of convinced himself that he was just going to be a normal kid and go yeah. to college and do this course. Yeah. 
and then but he still had this desire to do the dramatic thing and go and be in the boy band yeah I remember going through that thing myself of having the struggle of do I want to devote my life to this or do I just want to be like a normal teenager mm. it's tough it's really tough obviously it's... I chose acting I was never an actor, I meant music. He flipped between yes and no for a bit and he finally grabbed his dad's guitar, worked out a song he could play for his audition, Garth Brooks's The Dance, and they rushed into town for the audition which was being held at the Pineapple Dance Studios. Pineapple Dance Studios, where I used to hang outside in the school holidays, waiting for Bross. Yeah, I was going to say. But now, now I look back, I'm kind of like, what the fuck were Bross at Pineapple Dance? Like, what were they? What were they possibly rehearsing there? Um, have you not seen Matt's moves or jumping on a trampoline? He could I do mean... that in a kitchen. Yeah, it's true. There were about two hundred boys in line, and as he arrived, he saw a familiar face, Matt Willis. Yay. who'd been at Sylvia Young with him. Are you here for the audition? He asked him, and Matt replied, "No, I'm already in the band." Oh. Deflated because he doubted that he was cool enough to be in a band with Matt. Oh, he stop. contemplated going home, but his mum persuaded him to stay and do it. The auditionees were divided into groups and there were about 10 in Tom's group. They auditioned in front of the two potential managers and two band members. So that's Richard Rashman and Fletch, mm-hmm. who we heard about the busted episode, and Matt Willis and James Bourne. Three people were asked to stay for the afternoon session from Tom's group and he was one of them, along with another teenager called Charlie Simpson. They spent time with Matt and James playing, and by the end of the afternoon, the group was whittled down to a final floor. Final floor? (laughs) The group was whittled down to a final four, which included Tom and Charlie. They were asked to return for a second audition later in the week, at which Matt and James played a song they'd written, what was called That's What I Go to School For. Hearing their song, Tom felt brave enough to play them one of his own songs called I'm In Love With A Whore, which they cracked up laughing at when they heard it. Tom left that day knowing he really, really wanted to join the band, which he now knew was called Busted, and he left being told, we'll let you know. So he played his song called I'm In Love With A Whore, and they laughed, but that was a good thing. They laughed laughed thinking it was funny. They didn't think it was a good song. He, He later on, he admits himself... It wasn't the greatest song ever. Okay. But when you think of busted songs, it's actually along their vibe. Yeah. Like the whole... It kind of brings... It's kind of a... That's what I go to school for. I'm in love with a whore. Oh, it would have fitted. (laughs) Maybe they could get together later and write songs Mm. together. Let's make that suggest... Well, we know that they're all fucking listening and taking our ideas anyway. (laughs) So... That night he received a call telling him he was in the band along with the other boy he'd auditioned with, Charlie Simpson. So the following week, the four band members, Tom, Charlie, Matt and James, went into the studio. As he walked home with Charlie at the end of the day, they both agreed it was going to be the start of something big, which it was, but not for Tom, Mm. because a few days later he received another phone call from one of the managers and he was told, we've decided to keep it as a trio with Matt, James and Charlie. I mean, he must have been gutted. God, can you imagine? Richard Rashman, the manager, assured him they really liked him, though, and told him he should continue writing songs and he'd be in touch with him when he was back in the country. He was about to leave. He's American. Right. Tom thought he was just being nice and he spent the next two weeks gutted about the outcome of the whole thing. And then the phone rang again and it was Richard asking him to come in and see him the next day. Tom hadn't written a thing like he'd been told to do so, so he hurriedly wrote some songs in one night, including one called 
hotchicks.com, which is about finding photos of your mum on a porn site. Right, Tom's got an issue here because he's written, I'm in love with a whore, <laughs> and now hotchicks.com. I wonder, what, Tom, Sweetie. teenage boys, man, <laughs> right in their bedrooms. Teenage boys who have got the internet. So yeah. like teenage boys when we were surrounded by teenage Magazines boys. and shit. Yeah. Now they've got the internet. He met with Richard and his partner Fletch and was told in no uncertain terms that his songs were bad, <laughs> but that he should go away and learn how good songs are construct- constructed. He threw himself into his homework, listening to a multitude of popular songs from the Backstreet Boys to Britney and Limp Bizkit, Green Day. He went out and brought every Beatles record and through listening to them, he get, he began to properly learn about songwriting. He stayed in touch with Fletch and Richard, meeting up with them occasionally and playing them songs. And they in turn would let him know what Busted were up to, which I think is really mean. Yeah. You know that band you didn't get into? Yeah. Well, this is what they're this up to. This is what they're doing now. Maybe that was their way of like keeping their finger in the pie so being like this is what they're doing keep writing songs and we'll do the same for you oh yeah possibly i suppose uh months passed until one day he played the pair a song called hot date <laughs> and finally he got a positive reaction for them oh congratulations you've just written your first song that could do something rashman told him so rashman and fletch set him up with a songwriting partner called gary from <gasps> newcastle oh so <laughs> close <laughs> Gary, yes, from Newcastle, no. He came down and stayed with the Fletchers and for a few months they had the makings of a new band until Gary decided he wanted to go home. He wanted to go home. <laughs> a new so, And so Tom was back to square one. He was still pally with James from Busted who had obviously met through the audition process and Busted by now recorded their first album and so James invited him round to try writing some songs together and as they hung out together they discovered... They were into the same geeky things. Mm. They worked together through the night and they realised they had stumbled upon something special. They had a really unique connection. And because of this, they'd get together regularly. And when they did, the songs just kind of flowed out of them. And Tom credits James with teaching him everything he knows about songwriting. And James Bourne must have been just a really, really fucking talented songwriter. Busted at this point had been signed to Universal Records and the management duo of Richard and Fletch were invited by that label to create a more traditional version of a boy band, the singing, dancing. Mm. You know. They invited Tom to be part of it, but Tom knew that he wouldn't be happy in a band that didn't have guitars. Mm. But he did travel up and down the country with the duo, filming the auditions as they you know, went through yeah. seeking boys for a band that would eventually go on to become a boy band called V. Right. I, for some reason, this sounds familiar to me. Probably because I read the biography, but obviously a long, long time and ago. And so this came up in the Busted episode. Yeah. The auditionees were all carbon copy boy band types, you know, sleek hair, nicely styled. And they were kind of indistinguishable from each other. Until that is, they got to Manchester. Mm. So this is what happened in Manchester. Danny Jones was born in 1986. He grew up in a fairly traditional Catholic family in Bolton, Greater Manchester. He began playing guitar at the age of six when his mum found him a guitar teacher by flicking through the yellow pages, as you do. It's so different let your now, isn't do it? The yes, that's walking. right. Think, let your fingers do the walking, let your fingers do the talking. I think it was talking, but it was the fingers were walking. Yeah, that was forever the yellow pages. Yeah, yeah. We digress. 
By the age of 12, he'd moved on from his Argos-purchased guitar to an encore guitar on which he would pretend to be Mike Oldfield playing tubular bells. Strange 12-year-old. <laughs> his sister Vicky was a good singer and he would play guitar for her as she sang in the local pubs. At 14, he saw an advert for a local talent show which he entered singing Oasis's song, Don't Look Back in Anger, and he won second place. <laughs> What is this? Us laughing's not going to make sense because I'm going to cut that whole bit out. Okay, stop. Okay. One day he found a wallet on the bus with £1,500 in it. He handed it into the police who thought it was drug money and when it wasn't claimed, the police gave it back to him and he used this to buy an even better guitar. Is that still the law now if you find shit and you hand it and into it, the cops? And it goes unclaimed. I think it's three months. Yeah. It might be 100 days. You get it back, yeah, if no one comes up and claims it. Yeah. What about if it's like... £200,000. Still. Fucking hell. Okay. So he used this money to buy an even better guitar. At 15, he formed a band called Jinx, and they entered another local talent show, which they won. Danny started to think he might be an okay player at this point. Knowing he wanted to study music at college, he took music exams and eventually started to study for a BTEC National Diploma in Music at Berry College. Not long after he turned 17, his mum and sister spotted an online advert for Universal Music and the managers of Busted, who were seeking members for a boy band. They'd printed him out the advert, but their printer was a bit shitty. So instead of the advert saying, please do not bring guitars, their version had missed out the word not. (laughs) So on the day of the audition, Danny and his mum and his sister Vicky went into central Manchester, Danny clutching his guitar, and as he stood in line, he was getting odd odd looks from the other auditionees. He told his mum he'd changed his mind, but she persuaded him to stay and give it a go. Just, These boys' mums. I know. I was just about to say, if it weren't for the McFly mums, they just would not fucking no, exist. that's right. Don't it. It's be fine, love. You'll be fine. It's pet. such a mum thing. Yeah. It's great. I love it. You're made for this. Go up there. <laughs> Who's going to know? No one's going to see you. A pushy showbiz mum. <laughs> They're not even showbiz mums, no, though, are they? They're just supportive mums. That's it's quite mummies, touching. yeah. They, so they were being called into the room in groups of six and at, when it was Danny's turn to go in, he was told to leave his guitar behind. I'd have freaked. Yeah, because I think a lot That's of... That's his crutch. Yeah, like... they use it as a... Yeah, it's a bit anxious. They'd feel naked without it. Fletch was sat behind the desk and he asked Annie... Annie? He asked Danny what he was going to sing. Now I've got pictures of Danny Jones from Busted with ginger curly hair. <laughs> Sorry, Danny. Danny had planned the Stereophonics Mr. Writer, but he had no guitar. An unimpressed Fletch asked him if he knew any pop songs, any in sync or Backstreet Boys. He didn't. He didn't. <laughs> I thought I was going on to the next line. He didn't. No, he did not. Eventually, they let him grab his guitar and he sang Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. Not very poppy. Oh, I love it, though. It's, oh, it's such a great a song, song but it? if someone yeah. says to me, name not a great poppy. pop song. Wouldn't be in he my might as first... well have sung the bloody stereophonic song. <laughs> the one song. that he'd rehearsed, yeah. So they liked him and they asked him to go away and learn something more appropriate. And they offered him assistance in the shape of the guy filming the auditions for them. One Tom Fletcher. Tom and Danny went out into the corridor and with the help of Danny's sister Vicky, they taught him line by line how to play I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. Danny, thanks Tom and wished him luck with his own audition. Bless him. (laughs) Meanwhile, the panel loved Danny. Fletch and Tom discussed if he was more suited to working with Tom instead of in a boy band. But before that could happen, 
Danny would have to show the panel how well he could dance. How well could he dance, Amy? Well, he couldn't. (laughs) After he showed off his best dad dancing and the boys all filed out of the room, Danny was called back by Richard Rashman and asked if he had any songs he'd written himself. He stayed back and played for Richard, who handed him a business card and asked if he'd like to come down to London to meet him outside of the audition process. His dad wasn't keen on his young son travelling hundreds of miles to meet a stranger in a London hotel. And he wasn't sure he should be distracted when he was about to start at music college. Eventually, a compromise was reached where his mum would go with him and secretly book into the same hotel. Oh, power to the mum. Secretly from Danny or secretly from the managers? Or secretly from the managers. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) At the meeting, Richard asked him questions about what kind of band he wanted to be in. Four people? Five people? Do you want to sing? The only thing Danny knew for definite was that he wanted to play guitar. (laughs) By now, Universal Records had narrowed down their boy band auditions to a final 15. The only one that was a dead cert for all their singing, all dancing, no guitar playing boy band was Danny. But Tom didn't think he was right for a boy band and set about plotting to entice him away from Universal. Go on, Tom. Isn't that weird that Danny played guitar, sang really well, couldn't dance... And yet they wanted him for the boy band. I think it was the look and just his general yeah, like, demeanour. Yeah. In October 2002, Bustin were due to play Manchester and Tom invited Danny to go to the show with him, impressing him throughout the night with his tales of knowing the band. I like that Tom Fletcher's just blatantly flirting with Danny Jones. <laughs> come, on, come to a gig with me, mate. I know the band. I know the band. I'm with the band. Right. A few weeks later, Danny was called down to London yet again for the final auditions for V, which happened over a period of four days at Pineapple Studios. Danny found himself sharing a room with Tom. Wonder how that happened. I don't know. Just weird. That's just <laughs> that's coincidence. Convenient. And some nights, James Bourne, the star of now uber famous Busted, would pop over, hang out, and stay the night with them. Tom admits how noisy and smelly that room was. <laughs> yeah, rank. Tom admits at this stage that he and James, despite his busted fame, were only of average guitar ability and they were gobsmacked at Danny's guitar skills. As they played guitar together late into the night, they had an instant connection and a cognizance of what the other was going to do, blending instantly with harmonising. Both James and Tom were excited that Tom had probably found the right person to form a band with. Unaware he was being eyed up for a different project, Danny's mum had tried to boy band him up, including applying fake tan Go and on, baggy I love Danny's mum. It's my favourite person in the whole world at this minute. She's got, she's looked at the take that video of them with jelly and gone, she definitely need a bit of fake tan there, uh, Danny. Oh, so she, he's wearing baggy army trousers that he compared to something only David Beckham would get away with wearing. But he did enjoy hanging out with the other auditionees. One of the first people he spoke with was called Anthony Brandt. He made his best effort at the auditions, not knowing that in the record company's eyes, he'd actually already made it into the band. This is, bless him, like, he's really trying with the dancing and he didn't fucking need to. No. Imagine what a struggle it was. And then going through it day by day and going, I've not got this. I'm like, all these, like, that dude over there has just done four pirouettes in a row. No way I'm getting in this boy band. I'm not sure how important pirouetting is to boy band dancing. But... I think pirouetting leads is directly adjacent to thrusting. <laughs> 
To sort the situation out, Fletch spoke with Danny, telling him if he just wanted to sing and dance and be in a boy band, that was fine. They were, after all, already a signed band, but he could also take a chance working with Tom, who was just a guy that writes songs and doesn't have a deal. He asked him to picture himself in a hotel room in Germany with the rest of his boy band and no guitar, and if he'd be happy. Danny said no. Go on, Danny. And so he turned down the offer of a place in what would become boy band V. Oh, big mistake, Danny. And returned home home to Bolton. Do you think he wakes up still in the night now regretting it? I'm going to say no. Hard no. <laughs> he would travel up and down to London, writing with Tom. And when they weren't together, they would send each other mini discs of what they were working on. Tom had been invited to mini discs, less postage than, you know, CDs. It's possibly slightly pretty being able to burn your own cd yeah maybe tom had been invited by james Bourne to go on tour with busted so they could spend their downtime working on their second album god james you're so needy <laughs> whilst matt and charlie would go out partying james and tom stayed back at the hotel ordering milkshakes and writing sometimes writing two or three songs a night and in less than two weeks they had written busted's second album one night, Charlie joined them and they wrote a song with more of a Beach Boys surfer vibe called That Thing You Do. Oh, that's a good song. But it didn't sound like a busted <laughs> song. And for the first time, Tom had written a song that was going to be more suited to his own project, the band, whatever the band he and Danny were going to form was. So now they had half a band, the idea of what they should sound like, but they were short of a couple of members and, crucially, a name. Manager Richard Rashman had suggested Skate Park. Nope. Cool Ethan. Nope. Kevin. Oh, I like Kevin. <laughs> Apparently he possessed a seemingly endless list of shit names. One day, as Tom was watching The Busted... Oh. <laughs> Sorry, erroneous. <laughs> definitely called them show, The Busted. I'm like an auto-cue reader. I just read what's in front of me. One day, as Tom was watching Busted in a soundcheck in Sheffield, listening to them play their hit Year 3000, the lyrics, which had all come from James's love of Back to the Future, something which the two of them shared, Tom began musing over Back to the Future themes. DeLoreans and the Dark and Marty McFly and it came to him he ran backstage to James and yelled I've got it the band McFly but when he excitedly relayed the news to Danny his reaction was McFlurry <laughs> Danny had never seen Back to the Future sorry we need a dramatic pause because that sentence <laughs> is just yeah, but continue because it's most likely because he was only about a year old when it came out. Although, how he'd never seen it once on the ensuing 17 years when it's played on TV every fucking Christmas. I know this is pre-ITV too, who just played Back to the Future <sighs> oh, yeah, films back to back constantly. Yeah, yeah. But it was on every fucking year. One incarnation of Back to the Future yeah. was on every Christmas yeah. from about 1990 when it, when it to like came 2015. Out. I love Back to the Future so, so much. Setting about persuading him it was the perfect name, Tom and James set up a movie night at James's flat in London with all their, their favourite milkshakes and sandwiches and lazy boy chairs. I'd really love a lazy boy. Me too. So much. Just the entire life. Get a lazy boy that you could just... There's like a lazy boy but with scooters so you could just like to work on the road. That'd yeah. be amazing. And you just get like... Uh, you like open the arm and out comes your laptop. So you don't have to <gasps> sit up at a desk. It just comes out and it's right there in front of you, ergonomic and God, lovely. When we have the big boy band industries office, mm. that's what we're getting. Yeah, good. 
That's what we're using our next chunk of Patreon money for, <laughs> developing the laptop come lazy boy. Correct. The laptopy boy. <laughs> As Danny watched the film, it got to the scene with Biff where he crashes his car into a manure truck. Sorry, manure I hate manure. Manure. Whilst chasing Marty. And as they watched, they realised that there, on the side of the manure truck, were the words, D. Jones Manure Hauling. And that was some 1980s boy bandipity shit in action. And it was agreed that McFly would be their name. By the summer of 2003, Danny had moved in with Tom at his parents' house. And they split their time between there, James's flat in London, and a room on the third floor... Of the Intercontinental Hotel. The same place Danny had gone for his meeting with Richard Rashman. Can I just say, like, Richard Rashman constantly inviting boys to come to his hotel yes. in London. What must the hotel staff have thought? Well, wow. Oh, there's Mr. Rashman with his young boys again? <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh, there's absolutely no suggestion anywhere along the way in all the biographies that I've read mm. of any impropriety on his behalf. We just think it must but have I looked just dodgy. Think it must have looked odd to hotel staff. Especially when he's then going, I'm going to need a room for two of my boys. to be like, all right. <laughs> Sometimes working with James, they wrote much of what would end up on their first album. Obviously, That Girl, Surfer Babe, Broccoli, Down by the Lake, and She Left Me all happened in a week at the busted house. Just say like the speed with which they're writing these songs is it's prolific. The first song written by just Tom and Danny was Room on the Third Floor, followed by Five Colours in Her Hair. But even though they had plenty of songs, they still lacked a bassist and a drummer. They went through the process of advertising in magazines, including the stage. Obviously. Obviously. But it was fruitless and they'd often end up with nobody turning up to try out. They recorded demos of Obviously and Surfer Babe with a producer called Craig Hardy working in the spare room of his parents' house. And the song side of things began to fall into place. Their management then decided it was time to start seeing if they could get any interest from record labels. So they visited all the major labels, Sony, BMG, EMI, V2 and Warner. The reaction was beyond their expectations and they all appeared to be interested in signing them. They eventually went with Universal Island, the same label that had signed Busted. Now they could find more band members saying they were signed and so they had an open audition in Covent Garden and this time a couple of hundred people showed up. So weird what you've got when you have a record label. First in the queue was Dougie Pointer. Bass player Dougie was born in November 1987 and grew up in the village of Corringham in Essex. He and his friends were skateboarders. They'd skateboard every day after school and on weekends would head out to nearby Leon Sea for more skateboarding. Dougie was a bit of a shy kid who was bullied at school. He said that being into rock music and skateboarding was enough to make him hated in an environment where people were into garage and football. Twice. Uh, he was defined by his, the people around him at school as grunge. Uh, and he harboured ambitions of being a professional skater. He also kept lizards as a hobby. He would breed bearded dragons and sell them at reptile fairs. Something which could earn him two to three hundred pounds over a weekend. Money which he used to buy himself a guitar, once again from Argos, and tried to teach himself to play in his bedroom. The British music industry has got a lot to thank Argos for, hasn't it? <laughs> like, really. The fact that you could just go in and they it would come down on a conveyor belt. Yeah. Here you go, kid. Off you go and be a rock star. <laughs> he set up a band called, I think this is pronounced a taze, mm. with another of his skateboarding friends, a friend who advised him that actually he should take up the bass 
as it had two less strings on it and it would be easier to learn. <laughs> uh, and Dougie went and sold some more lizards and bought himself a bass guitar. At the time, his school was trying to become a bit of a performing arts academy and an advert was read out one day in assembly and the words busted and universal caught Dougie's eye. What also caught his eye, though, were the words aged between 16 and 21. But 15-year-old Dougie chose not to focus on that part. Go on, Dougie. So he went up to the audition in London. He arrived two hours early in case the lines were long. They weren't. And that's how he ended up the first one in line. Further down the line was a kid with bleach blonde hair wearing a T-shirt for the band starting line, which was one of Dougie's favourite bands. And Dougie spoke to him and noted that he was a bit posh. (laughs) Was that Harry Judd? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Harry was born in 1985 and was also from Essex, like Dougie. He attended a boarding school in Buckinghamshire called Old Buckingham Hall, where he excelled at sports, including cricket, football, hockey and rugby. Proper hockey, not the shit you field do on hockey, ice. Yeah. Yes. Played with grass. Ice hockey is not shit. It's, no, it's just not like, hockey. Yeah. At school, he also started to learn to play the trumpet. At the age of 13, he moved to Uppingham School after a spell of glandular fever, which knocked him out of the school cricket team. Harry took up the drums to fill up his practice time. Everyone in Harry's year at Uppingham was in a band, it seemed, as well as a boy a year above Harry called Charlie Simpson, who had ended up in Busted. Two of Harry's friends had a band called Boy Genius, and when their drummer quit, Harry decided he'd learn to play the drums to fill his place. He persuaded his mum and dad to let him take drum lessons and buy him a second-hand drum kit. During a school holiday, his bandmate Josh went to London to audition for a man called Richard Rushman, Uh but he was told he wasn't looking for guitarists right then. What he was after was a bassist and a drummer. He told Harry he should go audition for them. He had to get permission from both his parents and his school to and his school to attend the audition in London. His mum was worried about him having his head filled with big ideas about the music industry and lose his focus on school and university. But his dad reassured her, saying, Harry will never get into this band. His Thanks, mum. <laughs> this is the not supportive mum story. <laughs> no, that was his dad. Oh, sorry. <laughs> His brother Thomas joined him for moral support. As they were lined up outside, Richard Rashman came out to look at the queue and he stopped and spoke to just two people, Harry and Dougie. Dougie was trying to avoid talking too much because he wanted to hide the fact that he was in fact underage. (laughs) After both Harry and Dougie made it through the first round of auditions and then a second round in which they played alongside Danny, they were sent home to await news. And it was the next evening when Harry got an email from Richard Rashman telling him he was down to the final two. The same night, Dougie also got his email. It wasn't what he wanted to read as Richard Rashman had written to him explaining that he simply wasn't a good enough musician to be in this band. The next day, Dougie took his lizard money and booked himself in for bass lessons every night and singing lessons twice a week. And he emailed Richard Rashman to tell him this with no expectation of anything other than that Richard was a good guy to keep in contact with. They didn't expect him to email him back. Uh, but Rashman did email him back, telling him that he wanted to keep him updated. That's sweet. A few weeks later, Harry was back in London for the audition. He was playing an advantage, as Richard Rashman had secretly sent him the McFly four-track demo so he could learn them. Tricky, tricky, tricky. He was up against Martin, 
who was a really good drummer, but he was a bit straight-laced, not really a fit for the other guys in McFly. After two days, they returned home with another, we'll let you know. Danny was Team Martin, but Tom was looking at the bigger picture and wanted a bandmate, not just a good drummer. Right, this is so integral to bands and it is so important that they get the right fit of people and that is bands at all levels because you're going to be on tour with these people for fucking years at a time. In a tiny bus or having to share a hotel room with them. You have got to get on well. It doesn't matter how good they are. If they don't mesh... It's not going to work. That's why Tom was key to me. I know it was Tom's band to start with. They built it around Tom. Yeah. But his decision making was he key knew. to what ultimately becomes McFly's success. Yeah. So the phone call came for Harry after a week. He was in. He was obviously delighted, although his parents, who'd paid for his expensive education and wanted him to go to university and get a degree, were not. Uh, Dougie had stayed in regular contact with Richard and after a few weeks he invited him to London to meet him at his hotel his hotel (laughs) so they could have a chat and Dougie could play for him without the pressure of a room full of other people so he obviously sensed that Dougie was really shy and nervous he talked to Dougie about working on his confidence and his presentation and he played him the McFly demos he handed him one telling him he wasn't meant to do this but Dougie should go away and learn it and if McFly hadn't found a bassist for the band soon Maybe they'd call him in for another audition. So he paid for more bass lessons and he took the songs along and his teacher helped him work out what the bass lines were. He would get up early and practice before school. It's another reminder that he's 15. Yeah. Uh, and again at night he'd practice until he fell asleep. By the time he received another email from Richard invited him down for audition, he had three of the four tracks absolutely nailed. The audition was another one of these two-day processes with the band and the potential bandmates staying again at the Intercontinental. And thanks to his sneak peek at the demos, Dougie was able to play the songs with the band. Uh, As the band called a meeting to to basically make their decision on who they were picking, Dougie and the other auditionee went for a walk in Hyde Park whilst Harry and everyone, uh, Harry and Tom and the management talked. Uh, Dougie took this opportunity to confess to the other guy that he was only 15. Oh, Dougie. Back at the hotel, the choice was split. Tom was deferring to Dougie. His, he'd spent the night sharing a room with the other guy, who'd inexplicably woke him up in the night, knocking one off in the bed next oh, to him. Oh, no. Uh, and Richard Bashman was obviously also Team Dougie. And back at home, Dougie took the phone call from Richard telling him he'd got in, and he had to go downstairs and tell his mum he was leaving home. Well, he had to go down and ask his mum <laughs> if he could leave home because, you know, he was 15. <laughs> Richard also phoned the other guy who whose reaction to being told he didn't get in the band was to grasp Dougie up for being underage, ensuring that the other guys now liked him even less than they already did for being the one-man circle jerk. Honestly, th- I don't understand people who react emotionally like this because they think, well, I'm going to grasp you up then. It's like, mate, you're signing your own warrant there, Yeah, no basically. one's going to like you. It's, yeah. You know, they're teenage kids and they're yeah. going to go, oh yeah, we like the guy that told the truth and grasped up the 15-year-old. Actually, they're going to like the 15-year-old kid who wanted it so much. Yeah. He pretended to be old enough and as a 15 year old kid going into London and staying in a hotel and auditioning must have been shit scary so that's yeah. the guy you're going to be like him the one that that's desperate for it and wants it and is one of us is doing the shit we'd do yeah but also think about what happened when Richard Rashman told Dougie that he wasn't good enough 
he stayed in touch with him. He went off and learnt the songs, etc. Yeah, he used his own money, got taught he, it. He yeah. didn't go, well, the other guys. Does, does, does. It's, yeah. it's a bit like, you know, you would never waste your time with Donny telling him which bastards say shitty things about you, right? Right. Because what's the point? Donny's yeah, not going to thank you for it. He doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit. He will say fuck the haters, but he doesn't want the specifics. Yeah. Uh, so finally, the McFlyin' Up was... McFlyin' Up? McFlyin' Up! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's staying in. Finally, the McFly lineup, The McFlyin' Up was completed. <laughs> it sounds like something from McDonald's, the McFlyin' Up. 18-year-old Tom, Danny and Harry, who were 17, and 15-year-old Dougie, and a recording contract with Island Records. So they moved into a band house in Whetstone, north of London... And from August through to November, they spent every day rehearsing. And in December, they went into the studio. So what year are we here? Is this 2003 still? This is, hang on, yeah, 2003. Okay. In between, Tom was spending a lot of time with his girlfriend, Giovanna, who he had met at Sylvia Young Theatre School. Management had made it very clear that the house was for work and they weren't allowed girls over. In fact, the complete band rules from management were... No drinking, no smoking, no staying out late, no girlfriends, most of which got ignored. Shocking. (laughs) By the middle of December, they were making their first TV appearance on CD UK, which was hosted by... PGN Duncan. Ant and Deck. Other bands appearing on the same show were an Irish boy band called D-Side and Busted. Their mate James Bourne introduced them using a line from Back to the Future, which was... You might not be ready for this yet, but your kids are going to love it. So geeky. And as they headed out of the studio after their performance, they had their very first experience of girls screaming for them. Yay! From the 2nd of March 2004, they toured with Busted on their arena tour, along with another prestige management act, the boy band V, you know, the same one that Danny had auditioned for and turned down. I think he was devastated. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I still think so. They were collectively disappointed that due to time they couldn't play live, there'd be no time to soundcheck and their management were worried playing to arenas would be a bit much to start with. That's fucking stupid. But the teenage kids, it's your first... Okay, lads, this is your first ever live performance together as a band. Off your pot there. Don't worry, there's only 15,000 people out there. They've been bricking <laughs> it, seriously. Well, Danny and Tom did sing live over the tracks. The day after the tour finished on the 29th of March 2004, their first single, Five Colours in Her Hair, was released. They knew how important it was to get a good chart position on their first single, but they didn't need to worry. It debuted at number one. Now, Five Colours in Her Hair was written about a character called Susie from a TV show called Lizzie McClure. Is that it? I did read this, but I left it out because it didn't. Yeah. Wasn't Lizzie McClure. Anyway, you do the next bit. I'll have a look. <laughs> uh, suddenly they were hot property for all the team magazines. And some days they would do five show, five fo- show toe fruits. <laughs> and some days they would do up fruit to shoots. Five. five fruit shoots. <laughs> Just downing them, knocking them back in one go. Yeah, yeah. Fruit shoot. Hardcore. Uh, doing up to five photo shoots in a day for them, it became obvious very quickly that they needed someone to help them with their run to their day-to-day lives. And so they got Tommy, officially a tour manager and unofficially a surrogate parent to them. In June 2004, they finally had their first live performance. Yay! In front of 80,000 people Ooh. at Buckingham Palace <laughs> for the Olympic torch ceremony. That's so ridiculous. In July 2004, they released their second single, which was obviously, 
Uh, this also debuted at the top of the charts. But as well as fast becoming popular with teenage girls, they also were beginning to accrue the normal level of boy band hate. And at one point, the enemy printed a photo of them and labelled them cunt, wanker, dickhead and twat. I mean, that's so original and inventive, isn't it? Right. The TV show that Five Colours in Her Hair was named after, or the, the girl from it, the TV show was called As If. The album Room on the Third Floor was also released in July and debuted at number one. It earned them a Guinness World Record for the youngest band ever to have an album debut at number one, a title they took from a little band you might have heard of, The Beatles. Absolutely a boy band. In September, they released their third single, That Girl, which reached number three, and they embarked upon their first headlining UK tour playing theatres. The screams from the audience were so loud that they couldn't hear their monitors. Uh, Room on the Third Floor, the single obviously named after the album, was released in November and reached number five. And that same month, Busted took part in Band Aid 20, the re-recording of Do They Know It's Christmas. And at the recording of this, Fletch had started a discussion with Richard Curtis. Richard Curtis is the man behind... He wrote Four Weddings and a Funeral, Mm. Love Actually, Notting Hill. He's big involved with Comet Relief. Yeah, Uh, Fletch had a chat with him about getting involved with comic relief somehow Mm -hmm. they looked for a song to record among what they'd written for their second album but they'd now gone slightly rockier and so tom offered up a song about he'd written called all about you the previous february as tom was looking forward to his first valentine's day back with his girlfriend giovanna he'd failed to buy her a present so he put his skills into practice and wrote her a song instead oh that's so cheap it was the first song he'd written alone and it was never really intended to be a McFly song, it was just his gift to G. On the 14th of January, the day they filmed the video for All About You, Busted held a press conference and announced they were splitting up. Did their timing's perfect? I know they wasn't, it wasn't timed for that. Mm. They weren't like, so Busted are going to split up in January. So if we start bringing yeah. the singles out here, it's perfect. But it was, so it's like they had a tiny crossover. It was like passing a baton on, really, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like Busted went, here you go, guys. They're yours now. Yeah. So they travelled to Uganda to work with Comic Relief, and there they filmed their video for their other Comic Relief song, which was a cover of the Carol King song, You've Got a Friend. As soon as they returned home from Africa, they went to New Orleans to record some songs for a Lindsay Lohan film they'd been asked to take part in. Uh, and right after they'd done the filming, they were at the Brit Awards where they won an award for Best Pop Act. Yay! Their comic relief single was released in March 2005 as a double A-side, All About You slash You've Got a Friend. They reached number one again and received platinum status in the UK. Their most successful UK single. Not bad for a song Tom wrote in five minutes because he managed to forget a Valentine's Day. How do you forget Valentine's Day? <laughs> I mean, I like, dude, really. I mean, he's a guy. Come on. So in less than a year, McFly had scored five top five singles, three of them going to number one, a number one album and a Brit Award. And that's where we're going to cut off for this week. Nice. A year of McFly. I love it. I love McFly. I love their story. I love- I'm the same with when we did the Busted episode that every time I read a song title, I'm like starts yeah. playing in my head and I have to go off and watch the video yeah yeah why it's taking so long for me to write it yeah but yeah it's they're great. brilliant we we should point them at this point oh we should point them now and see after where they... one year and yeah. see where they come up yeah 
Like okay. if McFly had only done a year. Where would they have gone? Yeah. Okay, let's do that and okay, we'll come back. Cool. Hi guys, it's Amy here. So Zoe and I recorded the podcast on Sunday. I'm just jumping in here post-podcast recording as I'm editing because I just wanted to slip in that McFly did announce a tour this week. So following their sellout date at the O2, they have also announced a UK tour for next um, like April, May time. So as you're listening to this, as it drops on Friday, we will essentially be at that moment trying to secure tickets to see McFly in May as well. So if you hear this before 9am, get online and buy your McFly tickets. The OMFG zone is the place to be and we will see you there. And now back to the podcast. Right then, Zoe, let's do a rundown of the top 20 <laughs> so and see science. if McFly make it into the top 20 after a year of their career. Half-time science is throwing my brain half out. Half-time <laughs> science. <laughs> this is like stopping an experiment halfway through going like, you know, st- stop burning that yeah. shit. What's the halfway results? So they do, I mean, they do pretty well. So at this stage, they've been together two years, counting 2003, 2004. Okay. They have had... Five singles out. Yep. All of them made the top five. They had three number ones. They've had a number one album. They won a Brit Award. We don't point for awards. I want we sh- well, I want to chat to you about adding an awards category into yep. our pointing. Okay. Uh, so the McFly halftime score, top 20? Yeah. Let's go from 20. From 20 is the bits you hate. The Herries, uh, McDonald Brothers, Arvin Garner. Get, se- get us to a number that we... At 17, the Neutrons. Okay. At 16, Journey South. Yep. Number 15, Big Fun. Where do you think they're going to come? I want your guess. I'm going to say top 10. Okay. Number 15, Big Fun. At number 14 is LFO. At number 13 is EYC. Yeah. At number 12, BB Mac. Oh, they're going to miss it. Are they going to hit 11? At number 11, Damage. They're in the top 10. (laughs) Yeah, after a year. It's fucking mental. At number 10 is Australia's greatest boy band, Human Nature. At number nine, Half Time McFly. Wow. Not even half time, a year. Two, two years in, McFly, number nine. Yeah. At number eight, another level. Number seven, PJ and Duncan. Six is Crisscross. At number five is Bross. At number four is Five. Threeve. <laughs> At number three is the Jonas Brothers. At number two is Busted. And at number one, the Bay City Rollers. So basically what we need to decide now is, are they going to beat Busted? And if they are going to beat Busted, are they going to knock the Bay City Rollers off, off the top number spot? one. Oh, man, I really fucking hope they do. episodes. Yeah. Yeah. That would be incredible. Yeah. Yes. I think they stand a good chance of coming above Busted because although Busted were just as prolific as them and they had like the... Yeah. Their charting positions were just as good... They they were sh- they had a shorter time span. Yes. Like McFly went over five albums. Yeah. And were going for a lot longer. Don't ruin it. No, I'm we'll just find speculating. Out. We'll find out next I've not week. pointed the second yeah, half. Yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, don't ruin the story for the listener because they might oh, not know. Oh, got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's excellent. Great. So that's. Let me do some credits. I've just got to pull the book out of my bag. So the main credit and thanks this week goes to. 
actually McFly for their uh, autobiography, which is called Unsaid Things, Our Story. It's a really, really good book. It's a really easy read as well. Anyone that's into boy bands Mm. or music and how it all works should get this. It's it's so well written. And I enjoyed I've read it twice now. Mm. I think I read it twice when I had it as well. It's such good fun. And also the the muck-busted version, which tells their same story again. Yeah. And then adds in the muck, without too many spoilers, adds in the muck-busted part of the story. Mm. So that's what the thanks goes to this week. And also Wikipedia, from who I got a lot of the chart position and the things like that. Because they don't don't brag about their chart positions in their own autobiography. Lads, just... It's a humble brag. Like, we're all... (laughs) We all love you. We're all really pleased for you. Just... You can tell people that you're really really good there's no shame in in your game we can't wait to see you on the 20th of november we're gonna need to gonna make some banners oh yes mm, yeah. t-shirts i have a really great mcfly t-shirt idea okay cool all right well we're gonna go and we'll be see you here next week for yeah. mcfly part two thanks yeah. for listening thank you very much for listening uh don't forget if you want to contact us you can grab us on our social media so we're on Twitter at the Boy Band Pod, Instagram at I'm with the Boy Band. We have a Facebook page which is just called I'm with the Boy Band, or you can email us at theboybandpod at gmail.com. If you're enjoying what we're doing, you can help support us by helping us buy more things like the busted autobiography. <laughs> we have a Patreon McFly. campaign. <laughs> what did I call it? Busted. Oh God. The, the listener's so not going to know how many times I'm going to have to take out the word busted from this week's episode. <laughs> it's because the two stories are so intertwined. I know. That's what it is. Um, I love how intertwined these this whole series of episodes we've yeah. done has been. Yeah. It's just like a different view on how it yeah. all works. I've really, really enjoyed the whole thing. Come get and, us on Patreon. Yes, yeah, sorry. www.patreon.com forward slash boyband. If you subscribe, we do we started doing special exclusive episodes that are only available to our Patreon subscribers. You also get added to our Instagram uh, Instagram close friends group yeah for what we're talking about on Instagram (laughs) and we can't have everyone see that shit mainly because Jacob Underwood can't stop watching our Instagram stories he's watching my personal stories now as well (laughs) yeah he is and Rick Astley is too so yeah (laughs) story for another day so yeah we'll see you here next week Uh, thank you very much and don't forget it's not the boy band that falls at the top of our charts that is the ultimate boy band. It's the one that <laughs> was there for you when you needed the most. And, and got, got you, you from, from there to here. here. Bye. <laughs>